0: السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد والله إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وَنَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ عَلَيْهِ وَعَلَىٰ آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ وَبَارَكَ وَسَلَّمَ تَسْلِيمًا كَثِيرًا able أَمَّا بَعْدُ فَاعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ able to be able to be able Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ala Ibrahim inna ka Majid. majeed Allahumma barik ala Muhammadin wa ala ala Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim <coughs> wa ala ala Ibrahim inna ka Majid. majeed listeners We gather once again for the study and commentary of the hadith of Ka'b ibn Malik anhu from the Sahih of Imam Bukhari Rahimahullah Inshallah I hope to complete the hadith today We left off last week. At the sentence where Gamal ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu explains that when he received the glad tidings Of their ordeal having ended, Allah having relented to them and accepted their repentance. And bearers of these glad tidings and heralds came from the Messenger and from different directions to congratulate him and to convey these tidings to him. So the first person to actually reach him, and the one who had, well the first person to announce to him and then who subsequently reached him, since he had received the glad tidings from him first, Ka'ab ibn Malik, in his joy, he removed his shirt, actually both gowns, two pieces of cloth, and he gave them to him as a gift. Ka'ab ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu also adds that by Allah, in one narration of the same hadith recorded by Abu Bakr ibn Abi Shaybah in his a musannaf Gab ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu adds very clearly that by Allah, I did not possess any other pieces of cloth besides these two on that day. And then he gave them to the sahabi radiyallahu anhu who then actually wore them and I ended here discussing the point that throughout history it's always been a tradition amongst learned Muslims to give a gift to the bearer of glad tidings and often this was to do with uh, with one's clothing in the story of Gamal ibn Malik radiyallahu an. and I ended with the story of Imam Ahmad ibn Hamdul, and Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah he saw a dream he sent Rabi' ibn Sulayman his student and a great scholar in his own right, these are all scholars of uh, famous scholars of hadith so Imam Shafi'i r.a. sent a Rabbi ibn Sulaiman with the letter and he carried it to Imam Ahmad ibn hanbal who once he read it tears welled up in his eyes and when questioned about this he said Shafi'i has seen a dream in which the Prophet sallallahu is conveying his greetings to me and advising me to remain firm and steadfast. And in return, Allah will elev- elevate my rank as well as elevate me in grades of knowledge. So Rabbi Sulaiman, upon hearing this dream, he said to him, Al-Bishara, meaning glad tidings, so Imam Ahmad bin Muhammad, in the same spirit, he took off his shirt. And the shirt which he took off was his inner shirt. So he gave it to him. So Rabih ibn Sulaiman returned to Egypt with the letter of reply from Imam Ahmad bin Muhammad. When Shafi'i received the letter and read it, even he gathered that Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal would have given this bearer of glad tidings a gift. So he said to him, Apart from this letter, what did he give you? So Al Rabi' ibn Sulaiman said, He gave me his shirt, which is close to his skin, i.e., the shirt which he wore, which was on his body, which was attached, well, which was on his skin, on his body. That's the very shirt he gave to me. Not just the outer gown. But his shirt. So Imam Shafi'i said to him that I won't alarm you by asking you to give me that shirt. But go and dip the shirt in water and bring that water to me so that I may be able to share this shirt with you. And... SubhanAllah, look at the individuals involved Imam Ahmad ibn al-Hamdul, Imam Shafi'i, Imam al Rabi'i ibn Sulaiman, Rahimahum and Ibn Al Jawzi was one of the scholars of the earlier centuries, a classical scholar. He actually narrates a story with his chain of narration in his book, all the way to Imam al Rabi'i ibn Sulaiman. This is where we ended. So let us continue. Bismillahir سَمِعْتُ صَوْتَهُ. So when that person came to me, whose voice I had heard, i.e. on the mount, on the hilltop, يُبَشِّرُنِي giving me glad tidings, نَزَعْتُ لَهُ I removed my two pieces of cloth for him. فَكَسَوْتُهُ إِيَّاهُمَا And then I Put these two pieces of cloth over him, meaning I made him wear them, because of his glad tidings. وَاللَّهِ مَا أَمْلِكُ غَيْرَهُمَا يَوْمَئِذٍ By Allah, I did not possess, besides, the, besides these two pieces of cloth, meaning I did not possess any other pieces of cloth, and it's not mentioned here, but... This is why I cited Imam Abu Bakr ibn Abi Shaybah in his al Musannaf, who has the same narration where it's clearly stated that, that I did not possess two other pieces of cloth besides these two. Otherwise, he had wealth. And I borrowed two clothes. And who did he borrow them from? It's not mentioned here, but the same. Abu Qatada, عنه, his relative and his best friend whom he went to visit and who refused to speak to him now that the batchment had ended the ostracism had ended he actually went to him and he borrowed two pieces of cloth from him فلبستهما and I wore them الله الله and I went to the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam فَوْجًا so the people met me and received me horde by horde group by group host by host meaning fawj one of the meanings of fawj is Host, army, a throng, large group of people. So he says, people came out in throngs to meet me. فَطَلَقَانِ النَّاسِ فَوْجٍ So the people came to meet me and received me, horde by horde, in hordes, and throngs. يُهَنُّونِ Congratulating me on the acceptance of my repentance. يَقُولُونَ saying, the اللَّهِ عَلَيْكَ may Allah's relenting to you and His acceptance of your repentance, may that be blessed for you. قال كعب كعب رضي الله عنه says, حتى دخلت المسجد until I entered the Masjid. So all of these people were outside. So imagine the scene before Fajr, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was with Umm Salamah radiyallahu anha Umm Salamah radiyallahu anha he informed Umm Salamah radiyallahu anha shortly before fajr salah meaning towards the third in the third part in the final part of the night Jabir ibn Malik radiyallahu anha says in another narration that Umm Salamah radiyallahu anha was greatly concerned about my affair. And she paid lots of attention to this whole episode. And she would constantly inquire. So when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa informed her, in her joy, she said, O oh Messenger of Allah, should I not inform Gab? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, If you do inform him now, then the people will overwhelm you in the masjid. And there will be great din and clamor. Instead, wait till Fajr Salah. And then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam personally announced it after Fajr. As soon as he, after the Fajr Salah, as soon as he announced it, people rose. Darting in different directions. Coincidentally, Ka'b ibn Malik wasn't present in the masjid of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Since he was... On one of the homes, on one of the roofs of his home, uh, of uh, one of the houses. So people darted in different directions looking for him. Someone went to Mount Silla, where he had pitched a tent. Others went in different directions. Some went running, some went riding. And eventually when he received the good news, he rushed to the masjid, he gave his clothes, went to Abu Qatada, borrowed two pieces of cloth from him and went straight to the masjid. But even before he entered the masjid, outside the masjid, on the route, en route to the masjid, people met him in groups and in throngs, congratulating him, praying for him, telling him, may Allah bless your tawbah until he finally reached the door of the masjid. Then he says, حَتَّى دَخَلْتُ الْمَسْجِدُ Until I entered the masjid. فَإِذَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ جالس So there lo and behold, the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم was seated, and the people were around him. Now in the masjid, it was a completely different scene. Since it was inside the masjid, people were calm. Furthermore, because they were in the presence of the Messenger وسلم, people were seated. And the atmosphere was totally different to the one outside. It was one of great joy, undoubtedly, one of great joy and relief and celebration. But the commanding presence of Rasulullah sallallahu his awe was such that he overwhelmed the Sahaba radhiyallahu anhum even in their joy and celebrations. Allahu akbar. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was the most balanced of all human beings, the most perfect the most complete of all human beings. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam experienced grief and loss, sorrow and sadness, and he felt joy and happiness. He celebrated also. But his manner of celebration, his joy, his expression of happiness was so composed. So dignified, so noble, so serene. Sahaba رضي say that he never laughed in such a way that his, the rear of his mouth and his tonsils would be visible. The most he would actually do, even in his extreme joy, would smile. Until all of his noble teeth were visible. The Sahaba عنهم, seated around the Messenger were such that they had their heads lowered. They were calm and composed. They were dignified. In fact, we learn from this same story. What did Ka'b ibn Malik عنهم, say? النظر, that I would steal glances at him and this was the case with all of the Sahaba, عنهم, they would not look at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in the eye. If they would not look at him in the eye, stare at him, lock their eyes with his eyes, then imagine their serenity, their calmness and their composure when seated around him. Indeed, it was a gathering that reflected the words of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa that when the servants of Allah gather in any one of the homes of Allah remembering Him, then the angels descend and they surround them. The Sahaba around the Messenger, وسلم, even in their joy and celebration, were very dignified. The Prophet would also joke. Uh, use a word joke, he would he he was he had a sense of humour. The Prophet made people smile, and he smiled. Others made the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam smile and laugh. Like that Sahabi of whom I said the Sahaba had nicknamed him Himar and spoke of him even in the Context of this story. And yet, the Prophet did not display unrestrained behavior, or the Sahaba even in their joy and celebrations. In fact, we learn from authentic ahadith that Rasulullah said to the Sahaba from the mimbar. وَاللَّهِمَا لَوْ تَعْلَمُونَ مَا أَعْلَمْ لَضَحِتْتُمْ قَلِيلٌ وَلَبَكَيْتُمْ كَثِيرًا By Allah, if you knew what I know, you would laugh much less and you would weep much more. That was the demeanor of the Messenger ﷺ and of the Sahaba رضي الله عنهم, around In fact, even outside, when the Sahaba رضي الله عنهم was celebrating the Tawbah, of Ka'b ibn Amalik radhiallahu anhu, how were they celebrating it? The most that's said is that people met him in throngs, in groups. Yuhannuni, and in one narration, Yuhanni'unani, congratulating me. And how was their congratulation? He he clarifies it himself. He said, يقولون, he, he actually qualifies and clarifies and clearly stipulates what their manner of congratulation was. And what was their manner of congratulation? All they said is, may Allah's relenting to you and his acceptance of your repentance and your tawbah, may that be blessed for So when he entered the masjid, it was another world altogether. فَإِذَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ ﷺ جَالِسٌ حَوْلَهُ النَّاسُ There the messenger of Allah was seated, and around him were the people. فَقَامَ إلَيَّ طَرْحَةُ ابْنُ عُبَيْدِ اللهِ So Turaht ibn Ubaidillah, رضي الله stood up towards me. Yuharwil stood up running towards me. Hatta safahni Yuharwil doesn't actually mean running at full pace. It's it's like a trot in between walking and running. So he trotted, walked fast towards me. Hatta <laughs> safahni Until he shook my hands and congratulated me. وَاللَّهِ مَا قَامَ إِلَيَّ رَجْلٌ مِّنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ غَيْرًا By Allah, no other man from the emigrants, from the muhajirun, stood up to come to me besides him. وَلَا ansaha لِطَلْحِدًا And I will never forget that. In his favor In the favor of Talha Now I'd just like to clarify something here What was Ka'b ibn Malik عنه, Actually try to say Was he complaining Because if you Read the sentences Quickly He says that I went to the masjid People were around the messenger Sallallahu alayhi Wasallam Seated obviously Talha ibn Ubaidullah rose and hurried towards me. He shook my hands and he congratulated me. By Allah, none other from the muhajirun, from the emigrants. Because remember, he was an Ansari. He was from the one of the Ansar. None of the muhajirun stood up to come towards me. Besides Dalha. And I will never forget that about Dulha. I will always remember it in his favor. A cursory reading of this sentence may imply that Ka'b ibn Malik An, is airing his grievance that none of the muhajirun stood up to come to me. None of them. Only Ta'hat ibn Ubaidillah. And that's why I remember that. No. That's not the way to understand it. As I mentioned earlier, the sahaba radiyallahu anhum was such that when they were seated around the messenger sallallahu wasallam or with him in any way even whilst traveling his overwhelming presence his dominance his commanding presence overwhelmed them and subdued them in every way whether in joy or sorrow whether in anger or happiness. So much so that when the Messenger Sallallahu on some occasions, when he was abused verbally by various people, such as we have a number of stories of the Bedouin, some of the Bedouin, who were very unrefined in their speech, who addressed him insolently. Or, as in the story of Zayd ibn anhu, which I've narrated a few times, he actually insulted the messenger, he didn't just speak to him harshly, and in an unrefined manner, he actually insulted him, and insulted his family. So the sahaba, who were present with him, were instantly enraged, they were infuriated. But, it was often the case that none of them lifted a finger, none of them uttered a word. They were boiling with rage within, but they suppressed their rage because of the overwhelming presence of the Messenger They would not say anything or do anything without his approval. But often, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu would speak up. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi would calm him. So it was Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu anhu who would speak up. Does that mean that it was only Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu anhu exp- who felt any anger, and the other sahaba radiyallahu anhu didn't feel anger? No. They all felt the same rage. But Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu was far more vocal and he was unable to suppress his anger at the first instant, in the first flash. But later, upon the instruction of Rasulullah he would immediately calm down. Even the Messenger mentions in a hadith that, in terms of anger, there are Four different kinds of people. Someone who is quick to become angry and slow to calm down. Someone who is late to become angry and late to calm down. Slow to calm down. So someone who is quick to become angry, but slow to calm down. Someone who is slow to become angry, but also slow to calm down. And someone who is quick to become angry, but also quick to calm down. And the best of all, someone who is very slow to become angry, but quick to calm down. And this is anger in normal things, in personal issues. But when it came to the Sahaba عنهم, They were angry for the sake of Allah And his messenger So Sayyidina Umar عنهم, Would instantly calm down Even in personal issues It said of him الله, He would come to a sudden halt Before the book of Allah Whenever anyone Would speak to him He would get angry And sometimes he wouldn't Especially when there was a religious consideration. I've narrated the story of, before of a certain individual who spoke to, who came from outside the city of Medina. And he spoke to his nephew saying, I want to meet Umar ibn al-Khattab, al Mu'minin, so take me to him. And he wanted to request some wealth. And since the nephew was close to Amir al Mu'minin, one of his confidants, so the next morning he took him. So when he sat as soon as he saw him, he said, hey, al Khattab You don't distribute the wealth evenly. And he also accused him of injustice. Sayyidina Umar was about to lunge at him. Instant rage was about to lunge at him. Filled with anger. But the nephew suddenly, quickly, he recited the verse of the Qur'an. He said, "O believers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, خُذِ وَأَمُرْ بِالْعُرْفِ عَنِ الْجَاهِلِينَ وَهَذَا he said, O oh, Amirul Mu'mineen Allah says in the Quran Well, Allah says Seek Seek the path Or take the path of forgiveness And enjoin the good And ignore the ignorance And he said, O oh, Amirul Mu'mineen He's one of the ignorant He's his uncle, but he said He's one of the ignorant Instantly, Sayyidina Umar And calm down Instantly, He would come to a halt Before the book of Allah Whenever there was a religious consideration, Khawla bint Thaalibah rabbihillah anha was an old lady regarding whom Allah revealed the sura, the verses of Suratul Mujadalah, in which the beginning words of the surah are: "Qad sima Allahu kawla alati tujaddiluka fi zawjha wa tistaki ila Allah, wa Allah yasmaatu kumah." Verily, Allah has heard the words of that lady who was remonstrating with you regarding her husband. And complaining to Allah, and Allah was listening to your conversation. Because her husband had said to her that ummi, He likened her to her mother's back. This was a phrase used by the Arabs to signify divorce. So he said, you are forbidden to me like my mother. So she came to the Prophet wasallam and said, "O oh, messenger of Allah, I married him, I bore him children, and now when I'm old, he divorces me. This is what he said to me. So the messenger sallallahu wasallam said, I do not see except that you are now forbidden for him. So she retreated weeping and remonstrating with the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Because this was the custom of the Arabs, they regarded this as a form of divorce. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sent Jibreel alayhi salam, telling the Prophet sallallahu wasallam that in the Sharia. This is not. This is now not to be considered a divorce. Rather, there are other rules regarding it. So, the Prophet then clarified the matter for her. But <laughs> sami'a so Allah says, verily Allah heard the words of that lady who was remonstrating with you about her husband. And complaining to Allah, and Allah was listening to your conversation. So this lady, this Mujadila, the one who was remonstrating, was Khula bintu Thalabah Radyillahu Anha. So once Sayyidina Umar Ibn Khattab Radyillahu Anha was walking along the road, and he had his entourage with him, and he was Amirul Mu'mineen, and Khula bintu Thalabah Radyillahu Anha. Well, this old lady, met him, it was the same Khula. But the others didn't know. So she stood there and said, Wah, wow. it's it, the equivalent of the wow. She stood there and said, Umar, huh? mumineen with an entourage. I remember you when you were little and we used to call you Umayr, little Umar. And look at you now. So she spoke and Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, Listened silently. And the his, uh, the members of his entourage were thinking, how can this lady speak to Sayyidina Umar in that manner? So when she left, and they continued, they said, o Amir How did you let her speak to you in such a manner? He said, do you know who she is? She is that Khawla bint thalaba, whose words Allah heard from above the heavens and whom he listened to, why wouldn't Umar ibn al-Khattab listen to her? So whenever there was a religious consideration, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab and despite his natural anger, he would come to a sudden halt. So, does this suggest that none of the others felt angry? Of course, they all felt angry. But it was Sayyidina Umar who couldn't contain his anger, because of his passion. Similarly here, all of the Sahaba felt and shared in that joy of Allah accepting the dawbah and the repentance of these three Sahaba. This is why Umm Salama said to the Prophet, وسلم, should we not announce it? What was the Messenger's answer? He said, not now, otherwise people will overwhelm you in the masjid and there will be a throng of people. Rather, let me announce it in Fajr. That's what he did. As soon as he announced it, people rose, darting in all directions to bear them glad tidings. When he was on his way to the masjid, people were greeting him and meeting him in hordes and groups en route. And when he entered the masjid, the people around the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, especially the muhajirun, um, they felt the same joy. And they... Wanted to, well, they wanted to participate in the same celebration as everyone else. They all felt it, but they contained it. Talhat ibn Ubaidillah radiyallahu an for some reasons was unable to contain himself, and he rose spontaneously and hurried to. Kabu bin Malik radiyallahu and greeted him, shook his hands and greeted him. Kabu bin Malik, so okay, that's our explanation. So, didn't Kabu bin Malik radiyallahu know that also that all of the sahaba radiyallahu anhum were happy, they were greeting him en route to the masjid, even those who were inside were happy for him, but they remained seated and calm for the sake of say Sayyid- Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa so didn't he understand that? Of course he did. So then why is he giving special significance to tarahat ibn Tarahat radiallahu? Anh, very simple. Because he was very emotional. On that occasion, this stood out for him. And not only did it stand out for him, it was a point of reference. And this is something he always remembered. He always remembered the fact that whenever when he entered the masjid, what was a scene that captured his attention? It was of the Messenger, وسلم, surrounded by the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, and all of a sudden he sees Tarhat ibn Rbaidillah and rise and rush towards him to meet him and to greet him. Because he was the only one who did it, it punctured the calmness and It was very prominent and accentuated. This is why it stuck in his mind, and it was part of his emotional memory. Whenever he remembered his tawbah, whenever he remembered Allah's acceptance of his repentance, whenever he remembered people greeting him, more than remembering how people greeted him in throngs, he wouldn't remember the people individually, the one scene that settled in his mind was when he went into the masjid and the calmness of the people seated there was punctured by the sudden rising of Dharat ibn Ubaidillah rushing towards him and greeting him and meeting him. This is why it stuck in his mind. But this is not to suggest in any way that the other sahaba anhum did not feel the same joy and did not want to express it. Some of you may be wondering why I went into some lengthy explanation because I remember as a child when I read this hadith and I was still a child I said to myself why didn't the others stand up? And why was it that Talhat ibn Ubaidullah stood up? And why did Ka'b ibn Malik specifically say that only f- he from the Muhajirun stood up. Only he stood up. And I will never forget it. So that was a question that arose in my mind as a child when I read this. And this explanation, I've never read anyway. It's my own answer to my own question. So if you, if you didn't have the same question, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about the answer. <laughs> You could always just say, well, no one else stood up, and he never forgot that. Carry on. So he says, Wallahi ma qama ilayyya min al muhajirin a No other man from amongst the muhajirun, from the emigrants, stood up besides him. Wala ansaha li talha. And I will never forget it. For talha. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Continuing from where we left off before salah. Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu says, Qala Ka'bun falamma salamtu ala rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam So when I greeted the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with salam, Qala rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Allah's messenger said, Wahwa yabruq wajhuhu minasurur Whilst his face was glowing in joy. Abshir, Behayri Yom in Murra Aleka Mundu Receive the glad tidings and rejoice for the best day that has ever come on you from the day your mother first gave birth to. So Ka'bun ibn Malik radiallahu anhu says, I entered. And Talha rushed towards me, shook my hands, greeted me. I then went to the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And I greeted him with salam, Assalamu alayka, ya Rasulullah. In in a narration by Ibn Marduway, rahmatullahi in Ibn Marduway's narration of this hadith, Ka'b ibn Malik, it's reported that Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu says that I went faqabbaltu yadahu wa and I kissed the hand of the messenger and his knee. So he kissed the hand and the knee of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How would that be? Because he was seated. So Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu went and took the noble hand of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he... T- Kissed the hand and the knee. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to him, and when he saw him, how was he? His face was glowing and shining out of sheer joy. And Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's first words to him were, "Rejoice over the best day that has ever passed you." From the day your mother first gave birth to you. Now the question here Today was a day of his repentance. But how could the could this be the greatest day? Surely it was the day he became a Muslim. There's a way of understanding this. To the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, Allah's pleasure and that of His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa meant everything. And Allah's displeasure and that of His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa was their greatest fear. This is why in one narration, the Sahabi radiyallahu anhu says that when the because he said the Prophet sallallahu wasallam rebuked him, and in his anger at the Sahabi radiyallahu anhu, the Sahabi radiyallahu anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu wasallam kept on repeating his words so much so that I felt that I wish I had not become a Muslim till this day. Now, why would a sahabi say, I wish I had not become a Muslim? Surely, the Prophet wasallam's anger and his displeasure would still be less than unbelief in the view of this companion. But this is how they... It was just a thought that came across... It was a feeling that he felt. The sahaba feared Allah's displeasure and that of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam so much that for them it was as great as unbelief, disbelief. And the radiyallahu wished that he had never become a Muslim till that day so that he would have never committed that crime and sin and that the Prophet would have never become displeased with him. He would have rather delayed his Islam and after becoming becoming a Muslim, ensuring that he never displeased Allah and His Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, rather than becoming a Muslim and then spoiling his Islam with the displeasure of Allah and His Messenger. Because for them it was so great. Here also, the Prophet is telling the Sahabi, عندي, this is your greatest day, from the day you were born. And the way to understand it is, indeed, his greatest day was when he became Muslim. But it was spoiled. It was spoiled by what happened. It was, in a way, lessened by Allah's displeasure and that of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa And it remained imperfect. But, today, with the acceptance of Allah's, with, the accept, with Allah's accept, acceptance of your tawbah and repentance, it has now been brought to perfection and completion. So this is the meaning of, this is the best day that has ever come across you from the day of your birth. قَالْ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قُلْتَ أَمِنْ عِنْدِكَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهُ أَمِّنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهُ Is this from you, O Messenger of Allah, or is this from Allah? Meaning this pleasure and this forgiveness and the acceptance of repentance. And these glad tidings. And this rejoicing. Is this all from you, O Messenger of Allah? Or is it from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi said, Qal, He replied, La, no. Bal min indillah, Rather from Allah. And he said it with such joy. And in Abu Bakr ibn Abi Shaybah's narration of the same hadith in Zal Musannaf, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's words are added, إِنَّكُمْ صَدَقْتُمُ اللَّهَ فَصَدَقَكُمْ Verily, you were true to Allah, so Allah was true to you. When he said, is this tawbah from you, O Messenger of Allah, or from Allah? So he said, لَا بَلْ مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ إِنَّكُمْ صَدَقْتُمْ إِنَّكُمْ صَدَقْتُمْ اللَّهَ, إنكم صدقتم الله and rather, this is from Allah, verily, you were true to Allah, so Allah was true to you. And look how true he was. Wa kana Rasulullah sallallahu Now Ka'b ibn Malik anhu is picturing for us and capturing for us how the messenger spoke and how he looked. And how he expressed his joy and how he was happy. Rasulullah. We can learn our happiness and our joy and our sorrow and sadness from the Messenger of Allah. Rasulullah Sur and the Messenger of Allah when he was happy, when he was pleased. استنار وجهه, his face would light up. حَتَّى كَأَنَّهُ قِطْعَةُ قَمَرٍ As though it was a piece of the moon. وَكُنَّا نَعْرِفُ ذَلِكَ مِنْ And we would recognize this of him. His joy was so apparent that his face would light up as though it was a piece of the moon. And we would see this. We would experience this. And we would immediately recognize it. Question. Normally we hear. When we speak of someone's beauty. That they are like the moon. Not a piece of the moon. But the whole moon. Or like the sun. So when someone Compares the ob- object of their love and their beloved and when they describe their beauty they either compare him or her or the object of their love with the moon or the sun in their entirety so face like the moon face like the sun ibn and especially poets. Ka'b ibn Malik, anhu, was a poet. Why did he say, a piece of the moon, and not the moon? Subhanallah. What he was describing. See, we need to understand the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rasulullah was very sensitive. He was not hard of heart or harsh of tongue. He was soft and noble and he was sensitive. When he was sad, his sorrow was visible for all to see and it showed on his face. When he was concerned, his concern showed. And when the Prophet was happy, his joy showed in all its splendor. His emotions were very visible on his noble countenance. And when a person is sad, when a person is consumed by concern or grief, when a person is worried... They frown, and like any human being, frowning, sorrow, grief, they pronounce and accentuate these lines, these furrows on one's brow, one's forehead. These are the frowning furrows, the furrows of frowning. And they become very visible. But conversely, when a person is happy and joyful, then rather than their forehead and their brow shrinking and therefore making their burrows, or their furrows and their lines prominent, their forehead expands. And the lines are not so visible. These are facial expressions. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa who was so sensitive and whose emotions were visible on his noble face, when he was happy, when he was joyful, and when his joy showed on his face, it didn't just cause his forehead to slightly expand, or sorry, the skin to expand, and to remove the Furrows and the lines no his noble forehead actually shone and this is why in a hadith later by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim Rahmatullahi Alayhim in the Sahih Umm al muminin Aisha radiyaAllahu anha says the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam entered my house happy and pleased tabruq asareer wajhi the lines on his brow the furrows on his forehead were shining; they were glowing. So she specifically says the the, for, the the whole face wasn't glowing. She says the lines and the furrows on his forehead they were shining, they were glowing, because that is the centre of the display of one's emotion of joy or sorrow. So he already said, his that when the Messenger وسلم, would be pleased, what would happen? استنار wajhu. His whole face would light up. Hatta As though it was a piece of the moon. So why does he liken it to the piece of the moon? He's already spoken about the whole face lighting up, but he's now focusing on the center of that glow, on the center of that shine, and that is the forehead. And that's why he says a piece of the moon. So his whole face is like the moon, but the part which is the most prominent, the center of light, of shining, of glow, is his noble forehead. After all, Ka'bu ibn Malik was a poet. So, حتى كانه قطعة القمر, as though it was the, his noble face was like the piece of, was the piece of the moon. وَكُنَّا مَعْرِفُ ذَلِكَ مِنْ and we would recognize this of this of him. فَلَمَّا جَلَسْتُ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ so when I sat before him قُلْتُ I said يا رسول الله O messenger of Allah إنَّ مِنْ تَوْبَتِي أَنْ أَنْخَلِعَ مِنْ مَالِي صَدَقَةً إِلَى اللَّهِ it is part of my repentance that I remove myself from my wealth, meaning all of my wealth. Sadaqatan ilallah as a charity for the sake of Allah wa ila Rasulillah and the messenger of Allah الله الله Allah's messenger said in reply before I explain Ka'bun Malik had wealth as we learnt earlier he had Two means of transport. He had his. Orchard. He was never wealthier. Than he was at the time of the campaign of Tabuk. But none of this meant anything to him. His joy was such. As Allah having accepted his tawbah. That he said, O Messenger of Allah, part of my tawbah and part of my repentance is That I will give all of my wealth in the way of Allah In charity This shows that a Muslim should give in charity, should share When? All the time We've been encouraged to give in charity in sorrow For that makes a person happier And it relieves one of one's misery And it dispels calamities and misfortunes. It repels calamities and misfortunes. And when a person's misfortune has been lifted, when a person has been relieved of their grief, in their joy they should also spend in the way of Allah. Just as Ka'bun al-Malik r.a. did. But Allah's Messenger said to him, Lak. Retain some of your wealth, for this is better for you. It's not mentioned here, but in other narrations of the same hadith, it's recorded that the Prophet said to him, Keep, no, do not give all of your wealth. So he said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, should I give half? So the Prophet said, no. So he said, should I give one third? So the Prophet said, one third. And even one third is a lot. No, he didn't say this, he said one third. In fact, this is quite common. The Messenger wasallam would discourage the Sahaba anhum from giving all of their wealth. Unless they did it themselves of their own accord and he was assured that they wouldn't be affected. For instance, he visited Sa'd ibn Malik on Sahadith al Bukhari and Muslim. Sa'd ibn Malik was unwell. Prophet visited him. He said, O Messenger of Allah, I have only one daughter and I have wealth. So should I give all of my wealth in charity? Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said no. So he said half. Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said no. So he said one third. Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said fine, one third. Well, thuluthukathir, and even the one third is a lot. And then the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam explained. He said, "Inna ka antazra warathak aghniya khairunak." That you leave your descendants and your successors and inheritors wealthy enough and self-reliant and independent. This is far better for you than if you were to leave them in a state of poverty so that they will have to beg from other people. And then he continued in that hadith, that whatever you spend in the way of Allah, you don't have to give all of your wealth. Even the little that you give in the way of Allah, but you are now going to give two thirds of your wealth. Sorry, one third, and you're going to retain two thirds. So even the third you give, in fact, not even the third you give, but even much less. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam explained, anything you give in the way of Allah, Allah will reward you for it. And it doesn't have to be, and this is my explanation, it doesn't have to be monetary wealth. Charity is not money in Islam Charity encompasses much more than just wealth And the Prophet ﷺ continued saying to Sa'ad ibn Malik Whatever you give Allah will reward you for it And whatever you spend it will be a charity for you Even if you were to simply put a morsel of food in the mouth of your wife Even that is an act of charity So there are many hadith from which we learn that the Prophet sallallahu discouraged some of the sahaba Radiallahu from giving all of their wealth. In fact, in another hadith by, recorded by Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Abu Lubaba radiallahu anhu also, when he repented, he wanted to give all of his wealth, Prophet sallallahu said no, and then he also told him only one third. So Ka'b ibn Malik was told by the messenger of Allah, retain some of your wealth, this is better for you. And indeed, we, we have to be moderate in everything. We can't be impulsive and spend, even in charity, and give everything away. Both extremes are disapproved of. One should not be miserly and stingy, and a verse of the Quran explains this beautifully. (laughs) That do not clasp your hands close to your throat. Close to your neck. Meaning, and do not place your hands tied and fastened close to your neck. Don't hold on to everything. As though you've locked your arms close to your neck. And you're unwilling to give anything away. So do not place your hands locked and fastened close to your neck. And then again the Quran continues. وَلَا تُبْسُطْهَا كُلَّ الْبَسْطِ And do not spread them out so openly. That you then sit, محصورة, rebuked and stripped of your assets and possessions. One should exercise moderation, even in expenditure, even in charity. Don't give everything away, don't keep everything. Give, look after yourself, look after your family, look after others. Share, enjoy what Allah has given you, and be grateful to Allah, but give others a share of that enjoyment also. So Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu said, قُلْتْ فَإِنِّي أُمْسِكُ السَّحْمِ اللَّذِي بِخَيْبَرْ Verily, so, so O Messenger of Allah, I will hold on to and I will retain that share of mine which is from Khaybar. So two years earlier, when Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu joined the Prophet wasallam in his campaign of Khaybar, which was a settlement approximately 90 miles north of Medina. And many lands were... And gained there, the Prophet sallallahu wasallam distributed that land amongst the Sahaba, عنهم, and some of that land fell in the portion of Ka'bu ibn Malik. So he said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, what I will do is that that which I gained in Khaybar, I will keep that, but the rest I will give in the way of Allah. Faqulta Rasulullah, then I said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, inna Allah, inna ma ajani Verily, Allah has only saved and delivered me because of my truthfulness. min tawbati And indeed, I make it part of my tawbah and repentance. Allah أُحَدِّثَ illa صِدْقٌ ma That I will never speak anything but the truth for as long as I live. Now this is interesting. All of this happened because he spoke the truth. He couldn't lie. He was an honest, truthful man. In fact, when some of his clan members told him that you are forceful in speech, you are bold in speech, you are a poet. So why don't you go and make your case to the messenger of Allah and say whatever needs to be said in order to extract yourself from his displeasure, just like the others have done. And his reply was that I may be a poet. And I may be a bold poet, I may be forceful, but not in lies. So he couldn't lie even in poetry. So he was a very honest and truthful man. And yet he still says that I now resolve and I say with determination that even though I have remained truthful, and the fact is Allah saved me because of my honesty and truthfulness, I will make a firm intention to be even more careful and cautious in what I say, so that I will never ever say anything untrue again till the day I die. Even though he was truthful, subhanAllah. See his commitment to the truth. Even though all of this happened because of speaking the truth. And he never lied when he most needed to. One can't imagine he would ever lie again or it was part of his habits. No. No. And this is a perfect explanation of the words of Rasulullah. Let me finish this section and then I'll explain. So he said, O Messenger of Allah, verily Allah has saved me because of truthfulness and it is part of my repentance that I will never say, speak anything but the truth till for as long as I remain alive. For wallahi, for by Allah, ma'alamu min al I do not know anyone of the Muslims, fi al-hadith, whom Allah has favored and blessed in the truthfulness of speech, منذ ذكرت ذلك لرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم From the moment I said this to the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم أحسن مما أبلاني Allah has never blessed anyone as much as he blessed me. ما تعمت I have never intended منذ, the, منذ, ever since ذكرت ذلك لرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إلى يومي هذا كذبا From the moment I mentioned this to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Till this day I have never intended any lie وَإِنِّي لَأُرْجُوَ And verily I have hope أَيَحْفَظَنِي اللَّهُ فِيمَا بَقِيد That Allah will continue to protect me i.e. from lying for my remaining days Now the question here is this seems to suggest that He then said, oh, messenger of Allah, okay, from now on, I won't ever lie again. Maybe he used to lie, far from it. So then what does it mean then? Why is he saying that, oh, from the moment I said to the messenger of Allah, I will never lie again. I have remained firm to my word. I've never intended to lie. I've never intentionally lied. I've never intentionally said anything false. Allah has blessed me with truthfulness from that day till today. And I hope that I will remain the same for the rest of my days. Why is he speaking of this? Does this in any way suggest that he wasn't careful before? No. Far from it. He was a poet. And poets normally... In those days, used to say anything. And that's what Allah says of them in the Qur'an. That they say that which they do not do. They say anything. He Malik radiallahu was a poet, but he wouldn't just say anything. He made it clear that I can't even lie in my poetry. He was a very honest and truthful person. He couldn't lie. When he most needed to lie, and his clan members were telling him, some of them, go and lie, he says, I can't do it. They said, you're a forceful poet. He said, I can't even lie in poetry. So why is he saying all of this? Best way of understanding is: You see, their world is different. The perfect way of explaining this part of the hadith is by another hadith of Rasulullah which I've mentioned before. Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim both relate. From Abdullah ibn الله radiyallahu that The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, عليكم بالصدق. فَإِنَّ الصِّدْقَ يَهْدِي إِلَى الْبِرْ وَإِنَّ الْبِرْ يَهْدِي إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ وَمَا يَزَالُ الرَّجْلَ يَسْدُقْ وَيَتَحَرَّ الصِّدْقَ حَتَّى يُكْتَبَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ صِدِّيقًا وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَالْكَذِبُ فَإِنَّ الْكَذِبَ يَهْدِي إِلَى الْفُجُورِ وَإِنَّ الْفُجُورَ يَهْدِي إِلَى النَّارِ وَمَا يَزَالُ الرَّجُلُ يَكْذِبُ وَيَتْحَرَّ الْكَذِبَ حَتَّى يُكْتَبَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ كَذَّابًا Prophet وسلم said, adhere to the truth. For verily truth guides to virtue. And virtue guides to Jannah. And the man continues to speak the truth. And seek the truth. Until he is recorded as a very honest and veracious person in the sight of Allah. Then he said, and beware of lying. For verily lying guides to sin. And sinning leads to the fire. And a man continues to lie and seek lying until he is registered as an extreme liar in the sight of Allah. This verse, this hadith explains it beautifully. A man continues to speak the truth and seek the truth until he is recorded as a siddiq in the sight of Allah. Ka'b ibn Malik was a Truthful before, but after this he became a Siddiq. He was very true before, but now he rose to the rank of a Siddiq. And before he was always truthful, but what does the Messenger Wasallam say? He even speaks the truth when a person proceeds and progresses along that path. His very essence, his core, his being, his mind, his heart, and not just his speech, are all about truthfulness. It's not just true words, but true character, true being. Every fiber in their body is true. They can't tolerate falsehood. This is the meaning of him becoming a Siddiq. He then continues, "Wa anza lilah wa azza wa jalla 'ala Rasuli, We've near, reached the end of the hadith. "Wa anza lilah wa jalla 'ala and Allah, the Exalted, the Almighty, revealed to His Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and then He recites the verse of the Quran from Surah Dhuba. It's only part of it is mentioned here. "Ladhabillahu 'ala al-Nabiyyi wa muhajirin ansar Verily Allah relented to His Prophet and to the, mesen- to the emigrants and the Ansar, the helpers, قوله, till his words, الصادقين, And be with the truthful. What Ka'b ibn Malik Allah is referring to through this sentence are uh, the verses of Surah tauba in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says لقد الله على النبي والمهاجرين والمسار الذين تبعوه في ساعة العصرة من بعد ما كاد يزيق قلوب فريق منهم ثم تاب إنه بهم رؤوف الرحيم وعلى الثلاثة الذين hatta حتى إذا بما وضاقت عليهم ألا الله إلا This is what he refers to. The translation, Verily, Allah relented and turned in mercy and in accepting repentance to the prophets and to the emigrants and to the helpers. Those who followed him, i.e. the messenger, In the hour of difficulty. Even after it was close that the hearts of a group amongst them would swerve. Then Allah relented to them. Verily, he is most compassionate and merciful with them. And verily Allah relented and turned in mercy and in accepting repentance to those three whose affair was delayed until the earth became narrow for them. And until even their own souls became restricted for them and they were convinced that there is no refuge from Allah except unto Allah. Then Allah relented to them. Verily, He is the one who is oft relenting, most merciful. O oh, believers, fear Allah, be conscious of Allah, الصادقين, and be with the truthful. These were the truthful. So he references these verses of the Qur'an. Then he continues, فَوَ اللَّهِ, الله So by Allah, Allah never blessed me with any favor and blessing ever. بَعْدَ أَنْ الله للإسلام, After Allah guided me to Islam, نفسي, Greater in my heart, Min Sidqil Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, than my speaking the truth to the Messenger of Allah. Allah akuna kadabtuh, for Ahlik. Allah akuna That had I lied to him, then I would have perished for Ahlik. Kama Halakal الَّذِينَ Kadabu, just as those who lied perished. Meaning, After Allah guided me to Islam, in my heart, His greatest gift to me after Islam was my opportunity to be truthful with the Messenger ﷺ. For despite everything I went through, that truthfulness saved me from lying, and had I lied, I would have perished just like the others perished. Now they didn't perish apparently in the world, the gaze of the companions was on the hereafter. And how did they perish? because Ka'bul Malik explains, "For in Allah for verily Allah the exalted said,, to those who lied,, when he revealed the revelation, had the worst of what he has said to anyone. How did Allah describe those who have lied? He says here, فَقَالَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلُ So Allah, the Exalted, the, the, the Almighty, the Exalted said. And then again, he doesn't recite the whole verse, but he just references. سَيَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ لَكُمْ إِذَا They will swear and take oaths in the name of Allah to you when you return. Till his words, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَرْضَى عَنِ الْقَوْمِ الْفَاسِقِينَ. So verily Allah is not pleased with the sinful people. Now again, he doesn't recite the whole verse, but he references this verse, and this is from again, again from Surah Al-Tawbah. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala said: "Say, 'They swear by Allah that if عَنْهُمْ turn to them, you will turn away from them. They are unclean and عَنْهُمْ destination is Hell, as a for Allahu Akbar. This is why he said, "Allah saved me from speaking a lie. Because had I lied, I would have perished just as those who lied perished. Because when Allah revealed His revelation, He said about those who lied, the worst of what He has said about anyone. So what did Allah say? This is what He said in the translation of those verses is, Allah said to the Messenger ﷺ and the companions, When you return i.e., to Medina from Tabuk, they... Those who remain behind, the hypocrites, they will swear in the name of Allah and take falsehoods. They will do all of this why? عنهم, so that you will turn away from them and overlook. So, indeed, do turn away from them, ignore them. And then, what did Allah say thereafter? They are an impurity. And their abode is jahannam. As a punishment of what they earn. They will take false oaths and swear to you. عَنْهُمْ So that you may be pleased with them. But even if you are pleased with them, verily Allah is not pleased with the sinful people. Meaning, even if you are happy with them, and even if they manage to convince you and please you, it doesn't matter. Allah is displeased with them. And before I continue, I'd just like to mention something. Earlier on, the verse said, لَقَتَّابُ اللَّهُ عَلَى النبي. Verily, Allah turned in repentance, sorry, in accepting repentance to whom? The prophets and the emigrants and the Ansar. Which ones? Those who followed him in the hour of difficulty. What was the hour of difficulty? The whole campaign of Tabuk, Some of the sahaba radiallahu anhum. They didn't have means of transport. They walked. They marched. They ran out of food. They sucked on dates. One date would be shared between the two on their journey through the desert. One would suck the date and absorb the moisture, and then he would give the whole date to another companion, he would then suck the date, and absorb the moisture and the sweetness, and then he would return the date. They shared the sucking of one date. This is why Allah turned the whole expedition, sa'at sa'atil usra in the hour of need. Now imagine, Allah says, Verily Allah relented, and turned in mercy... To accept the repentance of whom? To accept the repentance of the prophets, the emigrants, and the Ansar, the helpers. Which emigrants? The ones who remain behind. And the helpers who remain behind? No. The prophet, the emigrants, and the helpers. Those who followed the messenger in the hour of difficulty. So Allah says first of all, before speaking of the others, that verily Allah has accepted the tawbah. And Allah has turned in accepting the tawbah of the prophets and the emigrants and the ansar who marched in the hour of difficulty. They did all of that and yet Allah still says, he turned to them in accepting their repentance. So what was? why did Allah say in accepting the repentance of the prophets? Or in relenting to the prophets, because again in Surah Taubah he says earlier on, Afallahu Allahu ank lima adhin talhum, hatta yatabiyan lak al-ladhin wa ta'lam al O prophet of Allah, may Allah excuse you and forgive you. Afu Allahu may Allah excuse you, O messenger of Allah. Why did you grant them permission? I Remember I said at the beginning That some of the hypocrites came to the messenger Sallallahu And said to him we are unable to travel with you So they lied So grant us permission And they, they had made a plot They said look let's go to the Muhammad And we'll say to him we can't travel with you If he gives you permission Then you've got a seal of approval And if he doesn't give you permission You still don't go So Allah said May Allah forgive you, O Prophet May Allah excuse you Why did you give them permission? Why didn't you wait? So that it would have become clear to you Those who speak the truth And so that you would come to know the lies I.e. if you didn't give them permission Some of them would have still stayed behind And these were the hypocrites So this is the meaning of Allah relented to the Prophet And the Muhajirun and the Ansar Despite their great deeds, despite their obedience, despite their loyalty and their faithfulness, they were reminded to forever seek Allah's forgiveness. And it's a hadith of Bukhari and Muslim. The Prophet says in a hadith related by Abu Hurairah. Wallahi inni la وَأَتُوبُ wa atubu الْيَوْمِ أَكْثَرَ مِنْ سَبْعِينَ Marra by Allah I seek Allah's forgiveness and I turn to Him in repentance every in one day more than seventy times. In one narration more than a hundred times. And in one narration, a hundred times in one gathering. Before I rise I repent unto Allah a hundred times in just one gathering. In just one sitting. And that is a messenger of Allah. And remember the words of Al-Hassan, Imam Al-Hassan Basri, rahimahullah. He said, Ya Subhanallah, glorified be Allah. Look at what they went through, these three. They did not consume any haram wealth, nor did they shed any blood, nor did they spread discord and strife and corruption on the land. And yet they suffered in such a way and this was their repentance. What of those who commit lewd and indecent sins and major sins? What of those? So, Allah then said, They will return. Sorry, when you return, they will lie to you. And even if you are pleased with them, فَإِن تَرْضَوا عنهم they will swear to you so that you are pleased with them. And even if you are pleased with them, it doesn't matter. Inna اللَّهَ la For Allah is not pleased with the sinful people. Let me read the verse again. Ka'b ibn Malik says, This verse frightened him so much and he was glad that he was not one of them. What did Allah say? When, they ret- when you return, they will swear to you and take oaths so that you turn away from them. So do turn away from them. They are an impurity and their abode is Jahannam, as a punishment of what they earn and do. They will swear to you and take false oaths so that you may be pleased with them. But even if you, O Messenger of Allah, and your companions are pleased with them, for Inna Allah يَرْضَى anil الْقَوْمِ fasqin, verily Allah is not pleased with the sinful people, and it's the pleasure of Allah that matters. No one else's pleasure, and no one else's displeasure. Imam Tabarani, rahmatullahi, relates of hadith in his Mu'jam al-Kabir it's an authentic hadith from Abdullah ibn Abbas, anhuma, and Imam Ibn Hibban, alayhi, relates a similar hadith in his Sahih. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Ibn Hibban relates this hadith from Umm Aisha muminin anha, the same hadith, more or less. And Imam Tabarani relates this hadith from Abdullah ibn Abbas, but listen to the words of the hadith, and remember them. It's an authentic hadith. Prophet said, Whoever displeases Allah in order to please others, then Allah will be displeased with him, and Allah will cause those who are pleased with him to be displeased with him too or actually the wording of the hadith is as follows. Whoever displeases Allah, Allah, in order to please others, Allah will be displeased with him. And Allah will cause those for whose sake he displeased Allah to become displeased with him too. And then the hadith continues. And whoever pleases Allah even in displeasing others, then Allah, رضي الله تعالى عنه, Allah the Exalted will be pleased with him. And Allah will even please and make pleased those others whom he displeased for Allah's sake. So much so, حَتَّى يُزَيَّنَهُ so much so that Allah will beautify this person. And Allah will beautify his words and his deeds in the sight of those very people who were displeased with him. It's only the Ridha of Allah that matters. The pleasure of Allah and the displeasure of Allah. There's a very famous poem in Arabic. tahlu wal hayat Walayta katarda, wal anam vidabu. Walayta ladi baini, wabena kaamirun, wabaini, wabena alamina karabu. The poet says, Faleta katahu. So would that you are sweet, walayatu mire, and life is bitter. Would that you are pleased. And the whole of creation is angry. Would that that relationship which is between you and me <coughs> is vibrant and alive? And would that all relationships between me and the creation are in ruins? And then the last line of the poem, إِذَا صَحَّ مِنْكَ الْوُدُّ If your love is true, then all is trivial. وَكُلُّ الَّذِي فَوْقَ For all that is upon the dust of the earth is dust itself. Meaning, why would I want to worry about pleasing dust? Why would I want to fear displeasing dust? For all who are upon the dust of the earth are nothing but dust themselves. We may call ourselves star dust, but we're still dust. All that matters is the pleasure of Allah. It's a very beautiful poem. i recite it again. <laughs> Wal وبين would that you are sweet and life is bitter. Would that you are pleased and creation is angry. Would that, that is, which is between you and me is vibrant and alive, and would that which is between me and the worlds is in ruins. If your love is true, then all is trivial, for all that is upon the dust is dust itself. All that matters is Allah's rida. That's why Allah says, when they swear to you so that you become pleased with them, even if you become pleased with them, فَإِن طَرْضَوا عَنْهُمْ You, O Messenger of Allah and the others, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَرْضَى عَنُ الْقَوْمِ الْفَاسِقِينَ Then verily Allah is displeased, is not pleased with the sinful people. َقَالَ كَعْبَ كَعْبَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ continues وَكُنَّا تَخَلَّفْنَا أَيُهَا الثَلَاثَةُ أَنْ أُمْرِيُؤُلَائِكَ الَذِينَ قَبِلَ مِنْهُمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى الله عليه وَسَلَّمَ And we remain behind, us three, from the affair of those from whom Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam Accepted their excuses له, When they swore to him So he accepted their renewed pledge And sought forgiveness for them الله الله And Allah, Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam deferred our affair Until Allah decreed therein For so because of this, قَالَ azza عَزَّ وَجَلُ Allah the Exalted, the Almighty said, وَعَلَى الثَّلَاثَةِ الَّذِينَ خُلِّفُوا And Allah turned in accepting the repentance to those three خُلِّفُوا who were kept behind. That's a literal translation of خُلِّفُوا. وَلَيْسَ الَّذِي ذَكَرَ اللَّهُ مِمَّا خُلِّفْنَا عَنِ الْغَزْوِ And that which Allah has mentioned is not our being kept behind from the expedition. وَإِنَّمَا هُوَ تَخْلِيفُهُ إِيَّانَا Rather, it is his keeping us behind. وَإِرْجَاؤُهُ أَمْرَنَا And his deferring our affair. حَلَفَ From those who swore to the Messenger Sallallahu Wasallam وَاَعْتَذَرَ إِلَيْهِ And who pleaded their excuses with him. فَقُبِلَ مِنْ فَقُبِلَ So he, the Messenger Sallallahu Wasallam accepted it from them. That last paragraph simply refers to Ka'b ibn explanation of the verse, because the verse which speaks of them is, وَعَلَى الثَّلَاثَةِ خُلِّفُوا The literal translation is, and those three who were kept behind. So whenever people read or hear the words kept behind, the immediate assumption is, they were kept behind from the expedition. But he says, no, the reference is not being kept behind from the expedition. It means being kept behind... And our affair being delayed and deferred, this is the meaning of being kept behind, not as being kept behind from the expedition. This brings us to the end of this long and beautiful hadith of Ka'ab ibn Malik. In short, in the ninth year of Hijrah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in the month of Rajab, marched towards the north, this expedition came to be known as Ghazba al the expedition of Walk, the hour of difficulty described in the Qur'an. Many sahaba, عنهم, joined him, approximately 30,000, more than 30,000, 10,000 of whom were just cavalry. And everyone was expected to join him. Some hypocrites remained behind, some sincere Muslims were given permission to remain behind. A handful of sincere Muslims, who were not hypocrites, remained behind simply out of procrastination and their personal failure to join the Messenger sallallahu Approximately seven of them repented publicly, their repentance was accepted. Three of them, Ka'b ibn Malik and his two companions, Murarat ibn Rabi' and Hilal ibn Umiyyah, did not publicly repent like the other seven, but they came, they didn't lie to the Messenger sallallahu but they were truthful. Despite over a hundred people who lied to the Messenger Wasallam, and what well, approximately a hundred, they were ignored. But the three who spoke the truth underwent this great trial and this huge ordeal, despite their sincere repentance. Because repentance has to be sincere. It's a process of purification, of cleansing. And it was thorough. At the end of it all, this was a result. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was pleased with them. The messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa was pleased with them. In this long and beautiful story, there are many lessons. I've covered many of them. Probably the greatest lesson is truthfulness. And truthfulness isn't just in speech. But it's in intention. It's in deed. And the words were beautiful Ka'bun Malik said to him, O Messenger of Allah, is this acceptance of repentance from you or from Allah? So he said, no, from Allah. And in the narration of Abu Bakr ibn Abi Shayba, what did he say? Allah, fa sadaqakum, Verily, you were true to Allah, so he was true to you. I pray that Allah enables us to... Learn and benefit from the great lessons that can be drawn from this hadith. May Allah enable us to follow in the footsteps of our noble messenger sallallahu alaihi wa sallam and his beloved companions. sallallahu wa ala abdihi wa rasulihi nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Alkotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorised distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.